Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine Podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. First, we'll start off with a check on the genealogy news with the genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad. And then in this September 2011 episode of the podcast, we are going to focus on family history publications. In our top tip segment, Rick Kroom will be back with us to talk about one of my favorite types of publications, old newspapers. And he'll give us some tips on how to find them from his new article called Netting the News that appears in the November 2011 issue of the magazine. Then in our 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, Allison Stacy's going to be here to take a look at how to search for periodicals on Percy at Heritage Quest. And in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, instructor Nancy Hendrickson will join me to talk about her terrific Historical Books on the Web On Demand webinar. And finally, we'll check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Stacy, who's going to be giving us a behind-the-scenes look at what it takes to put each issue of Family Tree magazine together. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Genealogy News with Diane Haddad. Okay, well, it's time to kick off this episode. We're going to do that with news from the blogosphere. So here to give us the scoop is the Genealogy Insider blogger, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi. Well, there's been lots of news. I don't know if it's the the Labor Day weekend coming up as we're recording or what, but uh, tell us, I guess, first off, let's start with archives.com because Mm -hmm. they've kind of been one that everybody's been trying to figure out and they made a big announcement that you were blogging about. Tell us on that. They did. Archives.com has, are, they're adding the entire run of available U.S. Census records, 1790 to 1930. So until now, um, Ancestry.com was the only site that had the indexes and the census images, and Archives.com is now going to be another site that can offer that for um, subscribers. Exactly. And, of course, the big difference right now between the two is price, right? Yes, yes. Um, archives.com is thirty nine ninety five annually, and they've said that they'll stay that way for the time being. They didn't give a promise that will always be that. Um, Ancestry.com, I think they're 150 annually now, so mm-hmm. they still have more records, but it looks like um, you know their main high-value attraction for people is the census. It's so so commonly used for genealogy. Right. And they're doing this in partnership with FamilySearch. Do you have a sense? Is that going to be a long-term partnership? Does FamilySearch work with Ancestry as well? Or or what are the dynamics there? FamilySearch works, um, they work with everybody. Their main thing so far has been that they want the records to be accessible, you know, in whatever way is possible. Mm -hmm. And um, part of the agreement was that Archives.com also dedicated $5 million and maybe more to digitizing records that are not yet online. So I think that's probably what FamilySearch is viewing as the main um, benefit here. Right. And hopefully it looks like we're all going to benefit um, it, because in the, the bottom line is going to be that no matter which site you're headed to, there's going to be just newer and newer records coming online. That's pretty exciting. Yes. Now, Ancestry had an announcement of its own. 
Um, they're really looking ahead, aren't they? Because they're talking about the 1940 census, but it's not here yet. Tell us about they that. <laughs> and I think everybody wants the 1940 yeah. census. Um, Ancestry.com has said that when they do um, add the records, which will be, they've said mid-April 2012, I don't think they know the exact date, mm-hmm. uh, those records will be free to search and to view the actual document for um, at least through the end of 2013. So that will be wonderful for genealogists. Exactly. Well, and it'll make it so we won't have to be in such a panic, because obviously it can't yeah. all come online the first day. There, It kind of rolls out. So it's nice to know we'll have the first year to do that at our leisure. Right. Yes. Although I think I'll still be there at midnight. <laughs> Waiting for them to go on. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> now, of course, a- another company that is associated with Ancestry is Footnote.com because they purchased them. And mm-hmm. they've been making changes as well, which is, I guess, part of all this jockeying around. Tell us their yeah. new name. Ancestry.com announced that they're changing the name of Footnote to Fold3. So that change has already been made. And Fold3 will now focus on military records. So they're keeping the city directories and newspapers and everything else that they already had on footnote slash fold three. But now um, I think what they're adding will focus on the military content. And I think people will also see a lot of overlap between the two sites. So, you know, before they subscribe to both, they'll want to see, you know, whether they can get everything they need on one and not, you know, and save some money there. So right now when you purchase a subscription at Ancestry, you're not getting... Um, Fold3 as well, even though they own the company. Is that right? Right. That's correct. It's still two separate subscriptions, although um, the records might be on one or the other or both. Mm -hmm. And and it was interesting because when they changed the name, everybody was, hmm, how are we going to remember this? But it's it's kind of easy to remember because it does tie into this military record focus. So tell everybody what the Fold3 means, and then maybe that'll help us remember the the new URL. Right. Um, Fold3 refers to um, the military flag folding ceremony where they fold the flag into a triangle, and every fold, it's said that each fold represents something. So the third fold represents the... um, honor and sacrifice that veterans have made for their country. So um, people did wonder, oh, what does it mean? And, um, you know, they had to explain it, and is that a good thing to have in a, in a website name? But it does have a lot of meaning, so so it does tie in. It does. It, it's, it's a really, I think it's kind of nice. And it really, um, once we make that connection and we learn a little something about history and we remember the name, so... <laughs> Sounds great. Well, lots of great news. Thanks for keeping your eye on it. We will check in with you next month. Thanks, Diane. Sounds great. Thank you. Do you want to save yourself hours of scrolling newspaper microfilm? Well, now you can go online to search more historical papers than ever. And here to tell us how to do it is Rick Kroom, author of the new article, Netting the News. It's going to be in the November 2011 issue of the magazine. Welcome back, Rick. Hi, Lisa. Well, you know, Rick, um, I think along with passenger lists, you know, newspapers was another record group that we all sort of wondered, would this ever make it online? It's so huge. Um are there really significant numbers of newspapers coming online now? There really are. There are quite a number of online newspaper collections um, with millions of newspaper pages online. 
at the same time, you probably won't find online newspapers for every little town where your ancestors lived, but um, there are enough newspapers online that it's definitely worth checking to see if there are newspapers that might cover places where your ancestors hailed from. Exactly. And it seems to me, every time I turn around, there's a new press release of somebody who's just, you know, dumped another million records online. So there's just more and more coming online every day. Now, your new article, which is called Netting the News, it's chock full of ideas of how to find these newspapers that are online. And I know sometimes it it kind of feels like a needle in a haystack because they're spread all over the place. So I was hoping that you could share some of your tips with us. Where, What's a good way to start to try to locate these online newspapers? One thing you might do um, to begin is to survey online newspaper collections and get a feel for the, the places and time periods they cover. Um, my article has a handy little chart that compares 15 of the top newspaper collections showing their geographic coverage and the years they cover. So if you take a look at that, you can see of the states where your ancestors lived and the time periods um, are covered by any of these collections. The chart also indicates which ones require a fee, but there are um, several really large collections that are completely free, too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I was looking at this, I'm thinking how far it's come. You've got listed here the size of each collection. Some of them have a million, some of them have, you know, 40 million pages. And gosh, who knows, maybe in two, three years, this is all going to be doubled. So it's exciting. It's definitely encouraging when you look at this chart to see really how much is there. What about when we're we're doing our searches and our queries? Do you have any suggestions there? You really need to word your query carefully to get um, matches that really cover the people you're researching. So that um, obviously you might start by searching for a person's name, and if it's a, an uncommon name, then that makes it pretty easy. But if, if you're searching for somebody with a common name, it can be a lot harder. Uh, you often need to add another search term to focus your search on the most relevant matches. And, and also you need to keep in mind variations in how a name might be recorded. Um, for example, I'm researching a relative named John H. Pennington, and I've found his name listed, I would say, 20 or more different ways, like um, John H. Pennington, J.H. Pennington, Hudson Pennington, Colonel Pennington. So you really need to be creative and consider all of the options. And since that's a fairly common name, I've tr- come up with a list of, of search terms to use in combination with his name to focus on relevant newspaper articles. For example, he was involved in international trade, um, so I searched on his name um, with the names of other countries like Costa Rica and Guatemala. He was charged with bigamy. That was a um, notorious scandal that was covered by a lot of different newspapers. So if I search on Pennington bigamy or Pennington divorce, I also get um, a lot of good matches. So you need to try to figure out all of the different ways your ancestor's name might be spelled. Surround your search for that name with quotation marks, so you search on the exact phrase. 
and try combining a person's name with other terms that um, can help you focus specifically on, let's say, your John Smith and not a lot of other John Smiths. Yeah, that that's great advice because, of course, surnames, there are just thousands and thousands of people with the same surnames or even the same first, last, first and last names. So it's that combining the name with something else that's unique about the person. And um, I love on the last page of the article, you have a kind of a breakout box. It's newspaper search tips. Uh, so when you guys get the magazine in your mailbox, take a look for that last page, because there's a great little box there that just gives you a lot of, you know, bullet points, uh, more tips like that Rick's giving you on how to narrow in that search. That's always the big challenge. Now, um, what about... As you said, not every newspaper is online. What about if our ancestors' hometown newspaper is not online yet? How else can the Internet still help us locate those papers? That's right. A lot of newspapers still aren't online, but there are directories of newspapers online that can help you locate microfilm newspapers that you might be able to order on interlibrary loan. One of the best places um, to identify microfilm newspapers is the Chronicling America website from the Library of Congress. And that site actually has two different parts. One has a lot of digitized online newspapers, but the other section is a directory of newspapers that have been published throughout American history. And it tells you where those newspapers are located in, let's say, a state historical society or library, and also tells you Um, if they're on microfilm, and if they are on microfilm, you can usually order them on interlibrary loan um, through a public library for a nominal fee. It's not as easy as doing an online search where you can search for a word appearing anywhere in millions of pages of newspaper articles. When you're searching newspapers on microfilm, you typically need to scroll through them page by page, but if that's the only option, Um, it can often be worthwhile. Yeah, I think that's the real takeaway from this whole thing is that so much of the newspapers can be online, but even if they're not, overall, I always start my search for newspapers online because even if the papers themselves aren't online, uh, so often it's the internet that's going to tell me where they are, and how to get a hold of them. This is such a great article. I I love the 15 top online newspaper collections chart that you include. That is just a a tear out and stick it by your computer, you know, type of item. Um, It's going to keep us very busy. And as always, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all your great tips, Rick. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. It was a pleasure. In this month's episode, we've been talking about finding our ancestors in publications. And of course, books is one of the first things that we think about. But in this 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Family History segment, we're going to talk about some other types of publications that are out there and a wonderful website where you can try to uh, access them and be able to do further searching on your ancestors. To 
join me to talk about Percy is Allison Stacy, publisher of Family Tree Magazine. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Well, Percy is something that most of us at some point have heard about. Uh, it's part of the Heritage Quest online website. But I think there's a lot of people out there who maybe just haven't tapped into it or haven't thought about it recently. And yet it's kind of a treasure trove of these um, alternative publications. Tell us what kinds of publications we're talking about that we might find in the Percy Index. Well, sure. I think you're absolutely right, Lisa, that it's something, one of those acronyms that gets thrown around a lot in the genealogy world, but sometimes people don't really fully understand the power of this tool and what it can do for them. So you mentioned books. Everyone knows to look for books about their family, you know, somebody who's gone and done the genealogy. But a lot of times that information didn't get published in a book. Um, It might have been published in a society newsletter or a journal. We've all heard of the National Genealogical Society Quarterly or the New England Historic and Genealogical Register. You know, those are the national types of journals. But Lots of little societies, state and local ones, um, as well as other organizations, maybe family surname associations, published newsletters and journals throughout the years. And they published a lot of this genealogy information, too. So it's possible that the information, that the research that someone else has already done has been published in an article, and Percy will help you find it. Yeah, I love that, that that there's articles out there. And that seems daunting, because it's like a needle in a haystack. But Percy is trying to catalog this. And really, the engine behind all this indexing is the Allen County Public Library, right? That's exactly right. So the Allen County Public Library in Indiana, they have one of the largest genealogy collections in the country after the Family History Library in Salt Lake City. And they're a huge repository for all of these genealogy publications. And for many, many, many years, they have their staff has been indexing the contents of all of these journals. And so that's essentially what how Percy came to be. It's it's this, the work of these staff members at the Allen County Library. And th- the great thing is that um, the Allen County Library actually has all of these articles that are referenced in Percy. So when you look something up on Heritage Quest Online, you do your searching and you identify an article that's of interest to you. you if your library doesn't have it and you aren't able to get it on interlibrary loan, you can actually um, send a request to the Allen County Public Library and they will make a photocopy of the article for you for a small fee. Wow, that's great. So that that really broadens the um, available collections. Um, Do you have some tips? Well, first of all, let's talk about how we access Percy, because it isn't just hop onto a website and, and do your searching. Right. That's, I think, the first trick to knowing how to use this is Heritage Quest Online is um, not a service that we as genealogists can just hop onto and access even, you know, with a subscription. It's a service that libraries subscribe to. And so the first thing you have to do is find a library that subscribes to the service. And there's over 2,600 libraries who do. So, um, you know, a call to your library's reference desk is usually what it takes, but the great thing is a lot of these libraries let you access it from home. So you can go to your library's website um, and log in from there. The example that I use is I belong to the Cincinnati um, Public Library, which is where Family Tree Magazine is based, and so as a card holder, I can go on to CincinnatiLibrary.org and go to their databases page and find the genealogy section, and Heritage Quest is listed right there. When I click on the link, a box will pop up for me to enter my library card. And once I do that, I'm in Heritage Quest Online. 
So you really can access from home. It's just you need to be kind of a card-carrying member of a library that subscribes to it. But then we can also access it at the library as well. That's exactly right. Perfect. So there's lots of searching to do now. We're not looking at digitized images, right? We're looking at an index. Do you have some search tips for us? Yeah, that's the important thing to keep in mind right off the bat is this isn't like searching the full text of all of the journals. You're searching an index, like you said. And it's kind of like when you would be using a head of household index to the census versus being able to search every name. You kind of have to adjust your search strategy a little bit. So when you're searching Percy, what you're looking for is you know, surnames, places, and topics, you know, not all of the contents of the article. So, you know, you have the option to search by surname or place. You can look for a how-to topic or a periodical title. And what I find is the more you kind of jam it with keywords, the less results that you get. So kind of keep your search simple. That's a great tip. (laughs) It's easy to do that. Yeah, and uh, another point is that you can use wildcards when you search Percy, um, That those being the asterisks that you um, would put to substitute for um, a letter or multiple letters at the end of a name in this particular case. Oh, great. And then, so this is going to give us um, an indication if we get a hit, we're going to get a listing for an article or a publication, so we won't be seeing digitized pages, right? Right. So actually, um, you'll get your list of hits on the term that you search for. And then when you click on one of those, it's basically a citation for the article. Mm -hmm. You get a little bit of a description about the article, what periodical it was published in, the date it was published. And that's the information that you can take to either um, your library counter to do an interlibrary loan, or you can send to the Allen County Public Library to request the photocopy. Perfect. So there's a little bit of legwork involved, but that's okay. That doesn't put us off any bit because when you think of the vast amount of societies and over the years, all the articles they might have published, oh my gosh, our ancestors must be in there somewhere. Exactly. (laughs) It's certainly worth a look. And uh, if you would like to learn more about Percy, you can take a first step at going to your public library and asking if they do have a subscription to Heritage Quest Online. Uh, Once you find out, you probably will be accessing it through the library website versus through the Heritage Quest Online website. Um, But also, you know, I think it's nice to get to know Allen County Public Library because, again, they are kind of the, the engine behind this whole project. And I've got a video for you. Allison was in Indiana a couple of years ago, and she did a tour of Allen County Public Library. I'm going to have a link to that video. Take a look, because uh, it's a great little introduction to what they've got going on there. Kurt Witcher is their director, and boy, they just are really such a powerful force, I think, in the area of genealogy research and providing collections and access to collections. It's very exciting. Allison, thank you for kind of reminding us about an old friend and Percy and giving us some tips so we really know the steps to take to access these great articles. You're welcome. With internet access, a genealogist can search millions of books with the click of a mouse. And with Nancy Hendrickson's on-demand webinar called Historical Books on the Web, Millions of Tomes at Your Fingertips, you will learn how to access family histories, genealogies, and place-based books to track down ancestors and learn more about the times they lived in. And here to tell us more about it is Nancy Hendrickson. Hi, Nancy. Hey, Lisa. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on again. Oh, it's always great to have you here on the podcast. 
start us off. It's exciting to find our ancestors in books. Um, what are some of your favorite websites and, and resources online that you go to to find them? Well, my first favorite, of course, is Google Books because they've digitized millions of books. And although some of them aren't fully viewable, a lot of them are. You can not only view the whole text, you can search within the text itself, and you can download the whole book. Uh, so I'll always go to Google first. And my second choice is Abe Books, abebooks.com, and it stands for Advanced Book Exchange. And Abe Books is an umbrella organization for thousands of independent booksellers. And I found several books there that I couldn't find anyplace else. And they may range from first editions that are tens of thousands of dollars, but there's almost always reprints available. I, I can almost always find what I want for under $10. Boy, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's a wonderful site. And, you know, not only is it U.S., uh, you know, because, you know, because of um, who do you think you are, so many people are interested in their country of origin. And there are booksellers not only from the U.S., but all over the world, because I've, I've ordered from a U.K. bookseller myself. And I think that really helps those of us who are looking for historical books that may not be in the United States. Exactly. Now, I know that there's you know, sometimes the book we're looking for itself, of course, is not digitized online. That's most likely the case. But there are those finding sites that help us find them. You've mentioned a books, and of course, Google Books, which now has its bookstore, which seems to be kind of indexing all the books out there. Uh, Lisa, you know, one site I use more too is the US Gen Web. And I don't know if your listeners know about it, but it's usgenweb.org. And there are pages for every county in the United States. So I will very typically go to a county where I know my ancestors lived. And frequently somebody in that county has digitized a book relative to the county. Or they'll mention a book. And once I have the name of the book from that county site, I'll go back to Google or Abe Books. And I almost always can find it. Oh, that's a great idea. Because exactly, there's so many volunteers that get together on US Gen Web. And uh, sometimes they'll even do lookups for you, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the US Gen Web, I think because it's been around so many years, I think it doesn't get the press that it used to because we're, we're so used to hearing about Fold 3, which was Footnote or Ancestry or Genealogy Bank, all of which are great sites. But U.S. GenWeb's been around as long as I can remember. And there are tens of thousands of pages for, you know, for, and as I said, there are pages for every county. And not only can you go to the county, you can also search the U.S. GenWeb archives. And it goes back several years. So not only are you getting people digitizing books, you're getting people digitizing newspaper articles. And those might also mention books. So between that, Google, Abe, Abe Books, and the U.S. Gen Web, I can almost always find anything I want. And, you know, I think, Lisa, people don't realize that if their ancestor was a pretty early settler into a county, it's highly likely that they're going to be mentioned in a county history book. I think people don't think that they're going to find their own ancestor, but there's actually a better chance than you think and even if their ancestor wasn't mentioned, 
it's possible that and a great great uncle or somebody in the family was mentioned and i just recently had that experience in a county history book from indiana that my direct person wasn't mentioned but his 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 uncle was and it took me back three more generations so look you know look for the family name and also lisa you can um you can frequently find information about professions so if your ancestor might have been a blacksmith in colonial virginia you're going to find a description of a colonial blacksmith uh, in a google book i guarantee you so there are just so many ways you can use historic books in your genealogy research and, and when you're putting together your own family history book that's such a great point because it's not just the names and the dates but it's the context it's understanding the lives of our ancestors. And that's what kind of makes it all so exciting. Um, Nancy, these are all great ideas, wonderful websites. And of course, if you'd like to learn more about how to find your ancestors in books, how to find books online, how to be able to order the ones you're looking for. um, These are the kinds of things that she talks about in this on demand webinar. This was presented live, it was recorded. And now you can just order it and do an automatic download from the Shop Family Tree website and be able to sit in on the class and learn all the tips and tricks. So I'll have a link for you in the show notes to get a hold of that uh, on-demand webinar. And Nancy, once again, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, Lisa. Thank you. As we wrap up the September 2011 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, I thought it would be fun to check in at the publisher's desk and talk to Allison Stacy a bit about her publication. You know, we've been talking about family history publications kind of as our theme throughout the episode, but uh, boy, she's got a big one that she's got to put out um, on a regular basis, and she understands all the ins and outs of that. So let's find out. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. You know, Allison, I think probably one of the questions that people wonder most about a magazine, you know, is how far in advance do you work? I, I'm imagining uh, it's a much longer time frame because you have so much content you're trying to pull together. Well, exactly. And we publish Family Tree Magazine seven times a year. So the issues are kind of spread out, whereas, you know, a newspaper, you're doing something every day or, um, you know, some cases every week for the Sunday edition. You know, our magazine issues are much more spread out. And so that means we have to work a lot farther in advance because there's a lot of work that goes into every issue, certainly. But also um, we have that long lead time that we have to be able to um, be able to provide files to our printer and that sort of thing. And so generally, when you think about how an issue comes to be, you know, we will actually start thinking about what's going to go into an issue a whole year ahead of time. And then we actually start working on any given issue about four to six months in advance. So right now, we're working on the January 2012 issue of Family Tree Magazine, and the December issue is already put to bed. Wow. <laughs> and it's only September. Oh, my gosh. Now, right. I'm, you know, we always think here on the movies, you know, they're working at a newspaper and they say, stop the presses. How far can you go up to the point of an issue when you can no longer stop the presses, you know, because a lot of times like things like uh, some of the announcements that are coming out and the Who Do You Think You Are TV series was coming out. There wasn't a lot of lead time. 
You're absolutely right, and that's one of the biggest challenges of working on a publication that is not coming out at, uh, really frequently is that you have to think really far in advance in terms of, you know, covering what's timely. Mm-hmm. That's why with our content, it's less news-oriented in our print publications, and we save the news for our blogs and website because that's where we have the opportunity to really be timely um, in terms of yelling stop the presses. I think I've done that once in the past 12 years. <laughs> and it was only because we really had that latitude. Once, um, you know, we could make a change within a day, replace a couple of pages and get the information corrected when um, there was a major change to a website that we had written an article about. But in general, um, you know, once it's gone on the presses, we can't stop it. <laughs> it's going to be out there whether it's right or wrong. So we really do our best to keep the tone and the nature of the information in the articles as least time sensitive as possible so that we are not putting information out there that'll be wrong by the time it ends up in our readers' hands. Exactly. And that's a big challenge when it comes to technology and the role that technology is playing in genealogy. You guys really have to keep your finger on the pulse of kind of what's coming down the pike. So you're sitting down a year in advance and you're trying to work on this editorial calendar Where do you pull from to get your ideas and to try to stay ahead of the game? Well, it's a combination of things, really. You know, all of our editorial team uh, is very involved in the center of the genealogy community. We're keeping up with what's happening regularly. You know, we're blogging, we're reading other people's blogs and um, in regular contact with all the genealogy companies to find out what they're working on and, you know, what plans they're making. So, you know, we take all of that into account. And, you know, we also consider a lot what we would like to read. Uh, We're genealogists too. So we think about, you know, the kind of problems and challenges that we face. And we will often come up with article ideas that way. We have a stable of regular uh, contributors. If you read the magazine, you'll be familiar with some of their names. And they will often suggest article ideas to us. And we'll try and work those into the schedule. And then, of course, we take readers' ideas and requests into consideration too. So throughout the year, we'll get Um, letters and requests from readers saying, I'd really like to know more about this topic, or I love this article, what about this aspect of that subject? And so we'll take all of that um, and factor that in as well. And what we end up with at the end of the uh, planning process is something that reflects all of those different interests. And um, then, of course, we also try to be a little bit flexible so that if some major news breaks during the year or a new resource is released, that we're able to um, get that in because our readers want to know about it, we, we can make sure to get that covered. Right. And, you know, finally, I was thinking, um, definitely the magazine is the the flagship, you know, item and, and something that you're so passionate about. But your business, if you will, has evolved so much since you took um, the helm uh, 10 years ago now, right? Mm-hmm. And so the the magazine is really this whole multimedia genealogy resource. Um, how was that for you as a transition from somebody out of journalism school who's passionate about paper and then having to integrate all of this much quicker, you know, much more ever-changing internet content and digital content. Well, it's certainly a challenge because, like you said, everything is much more real-time when we're working on a publication that um, we're literally thinking about a year in advance to something that we're having to think about, okay, this needs to happen tomorrow. It's, it's definitely a different mindset. But overall, you know, I think 
I've really enjoyed being in the genealogy world in the genealogy space, and it's such an online-driven pursuit anymore that, to me, it was natural transition to really make our offerings more multimedia. And so that's been a lot of fun. And then on a personal level, I'm learning lots of new things, and it's really <laughs> um, teaching me a lot of skills that when I came out of journalism school, as you alluded to, I never had any idea that I might possibly be having to do things like host a webinar or edit a video. So I feel like it's been a nice way to stretch my own skills and to learn new ways to communicate with the um, readers and customers that we're serving. Exactly. Well, you know, we all love the magazine, we love the paper, and we love to be able to carry it with us and, and read it. But I think it's um, so cool that you have so easily just evolved and gone along with the internet hurricane, if you will. It feels like a hurricane sometimes. It does feel like a hurricane. But uh, it's it's wonderful. And we are just uh, enjoying all the great content that comes in all the different ways it comes to us. Um, Allison, thanks so much for kind of giving us a sneak peek and letting me pick your brain a little bit about what it's like to be a publisher. All right. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me for this September 2011 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure to visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis. You will find that at blog.familytreemagazine.com slash insider. Next, go over to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything that we covered on today's episode, including Percy at Heritage Quest Online, where you can find family history periodicals. And remember that you can find Nancy Hendrickson's on-demand recorded webinar called Historical Books on the Web at shopfamilytree.com. And keep an eye out for Rick's article on online newspapers. It's going to be in the November 2011 issue of the magazine. If you have any questions or comments, I hope you'll email me at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcasts, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and Family History Genealogy Made Easy. Both of those shows are also available through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. <laughs> <laughs>